the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Paul says that an elder must, must be able to teach or apt to teach. Now, I think this phrase is often misunderstood. That's why I want to spend some time dealing with this so you'll understand it. When we hear that phrase apt to teach, we would normally think of someone who would be a great Bible teacher, someone who could stand in the pulpit and be a pulpit giant, a seminary professor perhaps, a strong, overpowering, high-powered lecturer, a great motivator, somebody we would say who has the gift of teaching, who could really communicate God's word in such an effective, winsome way. I want you to understand that being apt to teach is none of that. Now, that may shock you, but that is not what it means. Paul is not referring to the gift of teaching. Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff. There was a very special phrase that Pastor Steve said was the key to God's standards for church leaders, and that is the phrase, he must be above reproach. As we have gone through 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have looked at various ways a pastor, or if you prefer an elder, should be above reproach. On our program today, we are going to study a small phrase, but it is a phrase that is packed full of so much by way of implication and application that we need to just focus on that. So what is the phrase we're considering today? It is the phrase, able to teach. Can he relate God's word to the people? What is his reaction to people? And how does he get along with people? All of that is very important with teaching. Teaching is not just knowing the facts, but it's how to communicate the facts to others. So let's look at that, able to teach. What does that mean? I suppose I could tell you, but it would be a very short radio program, and you would learn much more if Pastor Steve tells you what it means. So here is Pastor Steve. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Tonight, we want to study a very important phrase in the New Testament. It is the phrase, able to teach. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Let me just read the first two verses of this chapter. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able or apt to teach. It is just a small phrase, but it is packed full of so much by way of implication and application that we need to just focus on that. 
We've been studying for the last few weeks the standards for a church leader. We have said that Paul is referring to a leader in the church, meaning this man is a pastor, he's an elder, he's an overseer, whatever name you want to attach to it. Separate than a deacon, though, he is a leader in the church. The elders are the pastors and the shepherds and the bishops and the overseers. They're all the same. And Paul is laying down the standards by which the church at Ephesus would evaluate the present leadership there because that's why they were in so much turmoil. They had men who were elders, who became false teachers, who were not qualified and were leading the church into terrible things and teaching them the wrong things. And so that's the context here. This is the heart of the epistle. When you deal with the leadership and get them straightened out, then the church will be straightened out too. Why? Because the leaders are to be models for the church. If nobody is correctly modeling these truths and character qualities, then what can we expect the church to be? So this is very, very vital. In verse 1, he speaks about the importance or the significance of being an elder in the church. He said, it is a fine work. If a man desires it, it's a fine work. Understand that. It's a fine work he desires to do. The word fine means excellence. It means noble. And then he says, in essence, this. Understand this, Timothy, that a fine work deserves a certain kind of man. A good work deserves a good man. A noble work deserves a noble kind of man. And so he lays out the standards. Now, I believe there's only one qualification, one qualification for a church elder, and that is found in verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach. That is my understanding of this passage as well as Titus chapter 1. That is the one overarching qualification. He must be above reproach. It means blameless. It means that while accusations may come, they will also go. There is no accusation that would stick. There is nothing that the man can be accused of that everybody is aware of in his life, that there's something wrong and it's obvious. He must be the kind of a man that doesn't have that on his record, that doesn't have that in his life. He's a man who people say that this is a model for us. He must be above reproach. But there are certain areas in his life that have to be above reproach. It isn't just above reproach in a vague general sense. There are areas of lives that need to be investigated and evaluated. And so Paul begins to do that. He says that he must, first of all, be above reproach in the moral area of life. And that's that phrase, he is the husband of one wife. This is not dealing with his marital status. That is not a spiritual thing. A spiritual issue is not whether you're married or not. Unsaved people are married. This is whether his character is above reproach. And the question is, is he a man devoted to a woman? Is he a man devoted to his wife? Is he a man who's devoted to her, who's madly in love with her, and he has eyes for only her? He's not interested in anybody else. In the moral area of his life, is he pure? Not just physically, but mentally as well. Then Paul deals not only with the moral area of life, but with the mental area of life. Does he have a certain kind of a mind? Now, this doesn't mean does he have a doctor of theology degree. It doesn't mean has he been to seminary when he speaks of the mind. He speaks of a Christian mind. For instance, he says he must be temperate. That is, he must be balanced in his perspective. He's not an extremist. He doesn't go for everything that he hears. He doesn't just rush in to a new gimmick that comes out and that type of thing. He is a balanced man. Secondly, he must be prudent. That word means sensible. There has to be a certain wisdom about him. He is a prudent, wise, sensible man who has good sound judgment, that type of a mind. And then thirdly, he is to be respectable. 
that is well-ordered. That's what the word literally means, well-ordered. It means that there's a discipline of his mind, that his mind is well-ordered. He's not cluttered with things, not confused. He is respectable. Then there are the social areas of life. And that begins towards the end of verse 2. He is to be hospitable, given to hospitality. What does that mean? He has a love of strangers. He demonstrates his love for people because he opens his home to strangers, not just those in his church, not just those who are his friends and relatives, but he is given to those he really doesn't know. And we went into that last time, how that was very important in the ancient world, and that demonstrated love. Well, tonight, we're continuing with the social area of life, and that is the phrase, able to teach. Can he relate God's word to people? What is his reaction to people? How does he get along with people? And that's very important with teaching. Teaching is not just knowing the facts, but it's how to communicate the facts to others. And I believe as we will study the issue of deacons, you look over the qualifications for elders, and you look over the qualifications for deacons, which he will start in verse 8, dealing with those, and they're very similar. But there's one thing that's missing with deacons that's included in the list with elders, and that is this phrase, apt to teach, which tells us that there are some good men who are fine Christian men, but they're not qualified to be elders because they aren't apt to teach. Maybe they're deacons, and they're moving in that direction, but there still needs to be this in their life or they're not qualified to be an elder, which tells us that teaching is a very, very important role of the eldership. So let's look at that. Able to teach. What does that mean? Paul says that an elder must, must be able to teach or apt to teach. Now, I think this phrase is often misunderstood. That's why I want to spend some time dealing with this so you'll understand it. When we hear that phrase, apt to teach, we would normally think of someone who would be a great Bible teacher, someone who could stand in the pulpit and be a pulpit giant, a seminary professor perhaps, a strong, overpowering, high-powered lecturer, a great motivator, somebody we would say who has the gift of teaching, who could really communicate God's word in such an effective, winsome way. I want you to understand that being apt to teach is none of that. Now, that may shock you, but that is not what it means. Paul is not referring to the gift of teaching. How do we know that? First of all, he doesn't say the gift of teaching, but that's not the main reason. The main reason is this. The New Testament records that the gift of teaching isn't for everyone, right? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just a moment in 1 Corinthians and we'll see this. And I want you to follow me in your thinking. I'll show you that he is not referring to being a gifted teacher. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, he says this, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Then he says in verse 29, and these are rhetorical questions. All are not apostles, are they? And what's obviously the answer? No. All are not prophets, are they? Well, no, they're not prophets, no. All are not teachers, are they? No. And all are not workers of miracles, are they? No. Not everybody is a gifted teacher. Not everybody. Only some people. But the qualifications for a church elder are dealing with character. They're not dealing with gifts. He's to be a model for the church so that every person in the church should follow his ways, his character. Now, if Paul was referring to gifted teachers, then the whole church couldn't follow their way because the whole church doesn't have the gift of teaching. Paul can't be referring to gifted teachers because the whole church isn't called to be gifted in teaching. But they are called to be able to teach. In other words, these are qualities every Christian should develop. 
And every Christian can't develop the gift of teaching because every Christian doesn't have the gift of teaching. Do you understand that? That's very, very important. You can't model something if nobody else can follow that. So Paul isn't just concerned with gifted teachers. Now, I think that there has to be some elders who are gifted in the area of teaching. If you'll just turn over your page to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, you'll see this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. What he means by this, if somebody's really an elder doing a good job and really ministering and really absorbed in the work to make sure that he receives financial remuneration as well as respect, that's the double honor, that's the context. Now watch this, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. He says especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, which means not everybody does work hard at it. Not everybody is called to labor in the word and doctrine. That's why my title is pastor-teacher, but I'm one of the elders, but I have the gift of teaching, and so I labor in the word and in doctrine. We have some of our men who are gifted in teaching, but not all, not all. And so I want you to understand that with elders, there will be some who have the gift of teaching, but not everybody is, and yet every elder is called to be able to teach without necessarily having that gift, so they might model it for you, so that you would be able to teach whether you had the gift or not. So understand that. He's not talking about a pulpit giant. So what does it mean? We know what it doesn't mean. It does not mean the gift of teaching. What does it mean to be able to teach? This phrase is one word in the Greek language, didacticon. You have heard didactic, teaching, didacticon. And it means to be skilled in teaching or to have an ability to teach, to be a communicator of the word of God. The root of this word, didasco, means to teach, and it's used many times in the New Testament with many different forms. But this form in particular, didacticon, is only used one other time in the New Testament. If you'll turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, you'll see the one other time it's used. But this one other time gives us insight as to what this term means. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 22, you'll see the context. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. In other words, refuse to get into hassles with false teachers over this. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. But watch this, able to teach. That's the term. Patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now this gives us some great insight into this word, and we have to go to the word to find it because it's not used any other place in the New Testament. We have to go to these two passages, First and Second Timothy. Now, what does that tell us? Here we have a picture of a godly man, a mature man, sitting down with one who opposes spiritual truth and lovingly communicating the truth in order to correct the opponent. Paul does not give us a picture of somebody standing in the pulpit and teaching the congregation. He gives us the picture of one who takes an individual aside and lovingly opens the word of God to him. That is what it means to be apt or able to teach. Now, I want to expand that a little bit, because I really believe that this term implies that there are three things that are going to take place in a man's life if he is apt to teach. 
Three things that have to be in a man's life, in our elders' lives, in my life, if we are to be apt to teach, if we are to qualify to be elders. If not, we should not be elders, and we should admit that. Number one, this man must have a knowledge of the Word of God, a knowledge of Scripture. Obviously, you can't open the Bible and instruct somebody if you don't know what it's saying. But the elders at the church at Ephesus didn't know their Bibles, at least not the false teachers. In fact, if you'll turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and understand that this is primarily what Paul has in mind, is this historical context. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Here were men who were teaching strange things. What strange things? Well, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Now, these men were getting up and they were teaching some speculative type of knowledge, myths and legends, and probably just made up stories added on to the Old Testament genealogies and just what Paul calls strange doctrines, rather than getting up and preaching the gospel. He says in verse 5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, and I believe he means the elders here, for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. You know, it's bad enough to be in error, but to be dogmatic and in error, that's what they were doing. They wanted to be like the esteemed rabbis, that when people walked by them or when they walked by people, they would sort of tip their hats, oh, how wonderful these are. But these men were proud, arrogant, false, heretical teachers who didn't know what they were saying, but they spoke with great authority. Kind of tells you that you can speak dogmatically and yet not know what you're talking about. And Paul wants the church to evaluate these men. See, the implication of 1 Timothy chapter 3 when Paul deals with all these areas is that the church is to evaluate the men because they were failing in these areas. I mean, when he says he needs to be a husband of one wife, implication being that you have men there who were not devoted to their wives. You have men there who were not hospitable. You had men there who were not prudent. And you had men there who were not able to teach. But Paul wants this church at Ephesus to evaluate their elders in light of their understanding of God's word. You cannot be an elder and be able to teach if you don't have a grasp of basic Bible doctrine. You have to have that. A man by the name of P.T. Forsyth has said this, The real strength of the church is not the amount of its work, but the quality of its faith. One man who truly knows his Bible is worth more to the church's real strength than a crowd of workers who do not. Very, very important. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, while my Bible translates it able to teach, it is not the same word, but the thought is there. Paul says this, chapter 2, verse 2, And the things, Timothy, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. These are to be faithful men. Elders are to be faithful men who understand what Paul originally taught. He taught Timothy, who taught these men, who taught other men, who taught other men, who taught other men, and all the way down to 1987, to Lakeside Community Chapel, that we are to have elders who understand what Paul taught so that they can pass it on to others. It is a sad day in the history of the church that we have so many opportunities to learn the Word of God and men and women don't take advantage of it, especially men, especially those who are to be elders, don't take advantage of it. There's more confusion now than ever before. And there are more books you can buy that would help you, more tapes, more radio, more television. 
that you can listen to the word, and yet people don't know the word. There are men who know their businesses well. In fact, there are many Christians who know their church constitutions better than they know the Bible. I heard the story recently of a church that was giving their pastor all kinds of fits because they were experts in their church constitution. And there was a little green book, and the pastor was trying to get the church back in order, and someone in a church meeting said, well, what are we going to do about the Constitution? And this pastor finally just had it with the church, and he said, are we going to follow a green book made up by men, or are we going to follow God's book, which comes from him? But there are many people who are experts in all kinds of things, but not the Bible. They may know a smorgasbord of Bible information, but there's no consistency there. They don't understand what Paul taught. They don't understand what the apostles taught. They don't understand how the Word of God fits together. And some of them have been sitting in church week after week after week, hearing sermon after sermon after sermon, but they have never really done a diligent study on their own, and that's how you learn the Word of God. Elders are to be men who are consistent in their theology. They don't have to go to Bible school. You know, that's a modern-day invention. It's not bad. It's good. Seminaries are good, but the Bible doesn't say you must go off to school to become an expert in the Word. No, no, but you do have to be a student of the Word. You do have to know what it says. You see, it's not enough to love the Lord. There are dear men who love the Lord, and they do anything for the Lord. But you've got to be knowledgeable of the Word. It's not enough to just visit people. It's not enough to hold their hands and pray with them. You must know the Word of God. That is essential. It's not just that you're faithful in the church. It's not just that whenever the doors are open, you're there. You must be a man of the word to be an elder. Secondly, not only is knowledge of the word necessary, but an elder must be devoted to the scriptures. Now, you might think, isn't that the same thing? Not necessarily. No. Let's look at Titus chapter 1. You see what I mean. Now, you understand that Titus chapter 1 is a parallel passage to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The difference probably being that Titus was there to ordain and appoint elders, whereas Timothy's job is to evaluate the elders who are already there. Titus is in a new work. Timothy is in an established work. But basically, the qualifications are the same. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says this. He's speaking about elders. Verse 5 tells us that, but verse 9 says he must be holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. He must hold fast the faithful word. That is, he clings firmly to the word of God. That's the picture here. He is one who in the midst of opposition that would tear him away from the Bible, he continues to hold on to it. That's the thought. People would try to pull him away. Philosophies of the day would try to pull him away. His own flesh would try to pull him away. Satan would try to pull him away. But he hangs on to the word. It's like he's hanging on to a pole and 15 people are grabbing his feet and tugging, but he won't let go. That's the picture here. In other words, he adheres wholeheartedly to the word of God. He doesn't just know the Bible, but he is committed to it. You see, elders don't just have Bible knowledge. They are committed to the word of God for a lifestyle. This man sees God's word as faithful. That's what Paul says, holding fast to what? Faithful or reliable word. That is, it's trustworthy. He holds fast to it. In fact, it is the only word for an elder that he considers to be totally trustworthy and dependable. Nothing else is like that. Now, this is very important for us, very important. I've been thinking in recent days about the sufficiency of the Bible, the sufficiency of the Bible. And I've been thinking along these lines that there are many men, good men, they love the Word of God, they believe the Bible, but while they believe it, and they say that it is sufficient for every spiritual need, they don't rely upon it for spiritual needs. They really don't. They confess that, they would be shocked to think that they don't rely upon it, but let me give you some illustrations. 
If they want to learn about how to work in a church, you especially find this in pastor teachers who run off to conference after conference. They're looking for something special. They're looking for a technique. If, for instance, John MacArthur pastors a church of 10,000 people, they go to that seminar thinking that there must be some trick that he's doing. I mean, you can't just teach the word and have 10,000 people come. What's the gimmick? And they're looking for a program. It's the same men who go to other Bible conferences, especially pastor's conferences. It's not wrong to go there, but it's wrong to go looking for something that's going to turn your church around apart from the Bible. Some technique, some program, some device that they hope someone will pass it on to them and they will learn how to grow a church. And yet these men would never seem to realize that they can turn to the Bible and find out what God says, because that's a spiritual need. As we heard on today's verse-by-verse program, the Apostle Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to evaluate their leaders in light of their understanding of God's Word. A man cannot be an elder and be able to teach if he doesn't have a grasp on Bible doctrine. However, beyond knowledge of the Word, an elder must be devoted to the Scriptures. He is someone who, despite opposition that might tear him away from the Bible, continues to hold on to it. In other words, he adheres wholeheartedly to the Word of God. He doesn't just know the Bible, but he is committed to it. Of course, those things apply to all of us as well, don't they? Next time, Pastor Steve is going to expand on the importance of the Word of God over programs or techniques. So please plan to join us then. I also would like to mention that if you are in the Clearwater, Florida area, you have an open invitation to worship at Lakeside Community Chapel. If you would like information about Lakeside, please go to lakesidechapel.com. That's lakesidechapel.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.